going to be so much But Genesis 40 is where we're at today, Genesis 40 and uh, 41. And I'm going to read a portion out of each chapter. And so let's start at 40. Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And so he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was in prison. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them and he took care of them and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt were, who were confined in jail both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. Uh, he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are you, your face is so sad today? And they said to him, we have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell it to me, please. And then over to chapter 41. Now it happened at the end of two years that Pharaoh had a dream and behold, he was standing by the Nile and lo, from the Nile, there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows, and then Pharaoh awoke. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good, and then behold, seven ears thin and scorched by the east wind sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears, and then Pharaoh woke, and behold, it was a dream. Now in the morning he, his spirit was troubled, and so he called for the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. And then the chief uh, cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious with his servant, and he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. And we had a dream on the same night. He and I, each of us, dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now a Hebrew young man was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related them to him, and he interpreted our dreams to us. Uh, to each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he had interpreted to us, so it happened. He restored me uh, in my office and he hung himself. It was the wee hours of the morning and the phone rang, waking up the young man who had answered it. On the other end, there was a female voice that he recognized, but being woken from a sound sleep, he wasn't sure why the call and why the call at such an hour. He struggled to understand what was being said, but to his best, all he could make out were a few words, and it was really a bunch of mumbling, and the person on the end of the line hung up. His first thought was, she's in trouble, and she had called him for help, but why him who lived in another city? Well, concerned because she was a good friend of his, he made a call several hundred miles away to that city where she lived, thinking, I've got to find out what is going on, possibly get her some help so he made the call knowing that it would mean waking up another person at this horrible hour the phone rang and her mother answered he explained to her what was going on while the father on another line was able to reach 
his daughter and determined that all was okay. It turns out it was all part of a dream. Unaware of what she had done, while sleeping, she had made the wee hour call in the night to her brother in another city, thinking she was talking to him when in reality she was murmuring. And when she had finished, she hung up, returned to her peaceful night's rest while finding him with filling him with concern that something might be wrong. And I didn't make that story up. That is what happened in the Vincent house Thursday morning at 430. As my daughter Jennifer called her brother Jeremy in Spokane and he couldn't figure out what the heck was going on. So he said, I'll call my parents. And of course, woke Wink up, who obviously, if Wink wakes up in the middle of the night, as you know, Scott wakes up in the middle of the night and we got it all solved. Dreams can be like that. They can be weird. They can be unexpected. And oftentimes, they really don't make any sense to the person who dreams them. Or in some cases, they don't make sense to the person that is pulled into the dream. And again in Genesis, we find Joseph dealing with yet another dream, really four more dreams. He's already had two himself, but now he's going to deal with four more. And so as with his Dreams that pertain to him of the wheat and the stars concerning he and his family. Um, And that's where his brothers mocking him called him the dreamer. Now all of a sudden we realize, wow, what a fitting title as now four more dreams will come his way. And God has given this young man obviously a gift. And the direction we're going to take this morning isn't about dreams. I'm like Joseph in 48 where it says interpretations belong to God. And in 41.16, where it says, it's not in me, God will give a favorable answer. I leave dreams to God, okay? And most of the time, they're not of God. And when they are, he will bring the interpretation. But I want to look at this whole thing, especially 41. And I want to take what happened to Pharaoh, really his dreams. And then I want it to speak to you and I as a lesson of how do we prepare for the challenges that do come into our life and are yet to come. See, he faced a famine and he would need to prepare and he did. And so in a very real way, you and I can then take this passage and go, okay, Lord, speak to my own life about that area, that need to be prepared for whatever comes into my life. And so that's what we want to do. Now, as we read, the first set of dreams had to do with Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker. A cupbearer was really one who would not only taste what Pharaoh drank, but he really would taste everything. He was the one that made sure what was being fed to Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh would be the equivalent of our president of the United States, that it wasn't poison, that it was okay. So he had the one dream. The baker was the one who would bake all the baked goods for the Pharaoh and his household as well. And so something happened. We're not told, but they offended the Pharaoh in some way, and it landed them in prison, and more than likely... Someone tried to kill him. And you'll see, I think, who it is. It'll come out clear. And so just by chance, right? Just by chance, they ended up under Joseph's charge, who, remember, was now in prison himself and was in charge of the prison now. And they, as it said, would remain there for some time. And and this was really no accident, because it would be the cupbearer, as you'll see before the morning's done, who would be instrumental then, 
in getting Joseph out of prison in God's timing and Joseph being raised up. Well, one night they both had dreams. And the next day Joseph could tell that something was bothering them. He knew these guys. He had been with them, I think, really, for years now. And, and, and so he knew something was wrong. And note that, you guys. Note that. Because it shows us that Joseph was doing more than just bidding his time. He wasn't punching the clock. Just wondering, is this going to be the day I get out? He was, uh, he was into it, if you will. Doing his best. And so he was aware of the prisoners. And he cared for the prisoners. I think that is the mark of a person that is born again. Truly, when we become born again, we're born from above, we are changed. I believe God wants, and a lot of times, hopefully, he gives us that sensitivity so that now life becomes not just about me, but it really becomes about others. And that's really what our goal is, isn't it? I was thinking this morning, for some reason in this subject, just about Christ. And what an impeccable example of a, of a person that came and never lost sight of his mission and he came to do the Father's will. You know, never a thought for himself. And so we see that now with Joseph. And so Joseph finds out they had these dreams, not knowing what they meant, they were troubled. And that's where Joseph says what he does there in verse 8. Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell it to me, please. And so he's not being overconfident. He's not even being arrogant. But he knew two things. One, God knew what they dreamed. And he also knew that God would give him the interpretation. And behind that comment, watch this. There's something that is being said by Joseph. And it is that he still believed in the dreams that he had had earlier in his life. When the wheat stood up, the stocks, uh, his, his stocks stood up and the other stocks representing his family bowed down and the moon and the stars, he still believed that in somehow, some way, at some point, God was going to raise him up and he would be over his family. And so it's interesting that behind that, otherwise he wouldn't have said this. He would have not even remembered. But he still knew God had a plan. And so even though he'd be betrayed by his brothers, even though his father thought he was dead. Remember, his father thinks he's gone from the face of the earth for now. Even though he had now been betrayed and mistreated, even accused of rape, and even though now he was in prison, he believed those dreams that he had dreamed early in his life would still come true. And so that's why he says, do not interpretations belong to God. He believed God was still watching over his life in spite of what and where he was. That's a good good thing for you and I to think about for a moment. Do we still believe in what we used to believe in? Or has circumstances, has our life taken such a course that our faith in God is wavering and not where it should be? And so this leads us then into, I'm going to give you five keys this morning if you're a note taker, of things we could do to prepare for challenges that come into our life, even those famine type challenges that sometimes come. And the first one is right here. Don't lose sight that the Lord God Almighty is with you. Now, this sounds so basic, but the problem is we do that. We get in the midst of a crisis. We get in something that's emotional. And all of a sudden, we, f- we forget God hasn't budged. If anything, we could say God gets even closer, man. You know, God's into crowded churches, okay? He's into crowding you, if you will. And so that's the truth. And so it doesn't mean things won't be hard. 
It doesn't mean that difficulties won't come. But regardless of what is happening outwardly, what's happening around us, nothing will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And, and that is a powerful weapon when challenges come our way that God is with us because it calms us and it brings us peace and it helps us then to just keep trusting. See, sometimes you don't need this incredibly complex answer or solution. Sometimes it's the simple of knowing the promise from his word that the Holy Spirit bears witness in your heart. I'm with you. I have gone nowhere. I've gone nowhere. Okay. well, sensing Joseph's confidence. Look what we read then. Verse nine of chapter 40. Um, it says, so the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him in my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me. And on the vine, there were three branches. And as it was budding, its blossoms came out and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup. And I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. In three, the three branches are three days. And within three more days, Pharaoh will lift your head and restore you to your office. And you will put Pharaoh's cup into your hand, into his hand, according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. And then I like this, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into this dungeon. And so the cupbearer's dream was showing him that he was about to be restored to the former position of Pharaoh's cupbearer. And notice like Joseph, Joseph it isn't that he, he isn't some super saint. He's trusting God. He knows the Lord's with them, but he does want the trial to come to an end. And so he he was truly an innocent person. And, and note that being innocent doesn't mean no trials. Do you see that? Trials don't just come because of the things we do, but we have to admit sometimes we do bring our trials on ourselves, but sometimes they come from the Lord to make you and I into the people that he wants us to be. Well, this gave the baker confidence. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, okay, and so very possibly he was guilty. He very likely had tried to kill the Pharaoh. And so seeing the cupbearer got a good answer, he says, hmm, let me see how mine's going to turn out. Verse 16 so he says, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. And the birds were eating them out of the basket of my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and you will hang on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh off you. And thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all the servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hung the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them, and yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And so, because of the ability of the Lord that he gave Joseph, he's able then to interpret the dream and... Um, and uh, says what he uh, says um, and with the outcome, of course, being different. Um, 
that the baker would be put to death where the cupbearer was raised up. And so here's another way we see the incredible character of Joseph now uh, coming through, that he speaks the truth, even if it wasn't what somebody might want to hear or it could mean something bad to him. And so if it meant that he would stay in prison longer, he would still speak it. Or if he'd lose a friend or anything else, truthfulness was a quality that Joseph possessed. And so this is a second key. you know. And again, sometimes you may not think, are these really keys to handling things? They really are. So a second key is be truthful always. Be truthful with God. Be truthful with yourself. And be truthful with others. Okay? And that's a great quality. And that doesn't exclude being tactful and loving. Amen? Amen. Come on. It does. It's easy to be truthful, brutally truthful. That isn't always what God wants. But God wants us to be truthful. And so we are to be truthful for what does the word tell us? The truth will set you free. And I know the contents of that passage. John 8, 32. It's, in other words, Christ will set you free. He'll set your life free. Salvation brings a freedom to your life. But in a sense, there's a real freedom that comes in truthfulness, isn't there? Just saying it what it is, not trying to play a game, not trying to hide anything. And boy, it's freeing to your life. Well, time passes. There'll be two more years until the cupbearer mentions Joseph to Pharaoh. And so if from the time, now track with me here, that he's betrayed by his brothers in, back in Canaan to being restored, as we mentioned, was a 13-year period. Remember, a 13-year trial. Um, then he was 17 when it all started. And so now Joseph is around 28 years old. And you realize he spent now a fair amount of time in this prison. We don't know how long he was in Potiphar's household. He could have been there several years as well. But regardless now, he is about a 28-year-old man. And so two years passed. And, and no doubt he had given up really all hope that Mr. Cupbearer is ever going to bring him up to Pharaoh. At that point, you're just kind of going, I don't think he's going to remember, you know. And so that's what he thought. But note, even though man may have forgot, the Lord doesn't. And he knows exactly where Joseph is. Stop right there. Apply that to yourself. Sometimes other people do not know who you are. Let's be honest. They don't care about you. They don't know what you're doing or anything else. But in any given moment, God knows who you are if you're his child. And he cares about you. Really. Every single moment, he knows that. It's almost, I said, I blew it the other day, and these guys are just making a list to get me back, these kids. But it's, it's, not, the, it's not a GPA. It's a GPS. Did I say it right this time? Good. You know? If, you got, if I just had one, I would know what it is. Um, and God has got that on us. And so he knows where we're at at any, any given moment. And he knew where Joseph was. And so now Pharaoh has a dream. And if you were an angel watching this from heaven, this is the image that went to my mind, you'd have to nudge the angel next to you and go, watch this. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know Joseph's going to get pulled into this because it's a dream and he seems to always be involved with these dreams. And so Pharaoh dreams first these seven cows, beautiful, that would make fine dinners. Amen? Man, I could tell. I got kind of a half chicken, half beef crowd here, don't I? Okay. Um, and then seven other cows, ugly and gaunt is the word for skinny, 
uh, kind that you, that you see if you made a travel to India or Africa at times. And these ugly and skinny cows then ate up the healthy ones. He awoke, verse 4. And that would be the kind of dream that you would sit up on the edge of your bed and you'd go, what was that all about? And so falling back again asleep, he dreams another dream. And he sees a stalk of grain, one stalk of grain, having seven heads, any rancher's dream, right? But then seven thin ears come up. And like with the ugly cows, they eat the seven heads on this one stalk. And so waking up, he's troubled. He calls those in his cabinet who usually could make sense of these things. uh, Verse 8, but none of them knew what it meant. And so there's two things then to note. One, the Lord God was speaking to Pharaoh. And two, Pharaoh's men couldn't interpret it because the dream was from God. And if you will, they were from the other side. They were from the dark side. So there was no way they were ever going to interpret this. They needed someone who was on God's side to do that. And so Pharaoh knew this wasn't just any old dream. It was one of those things that not only did he remember it, but it haunted him. He, he, it was clear. He, it's like he could remember every detail of it. And just by chance, he would need someone who was on God's side, maybe a Hebrew, okay, to tell him what the dreams meant. And so um, is the world then, this is something to think about, led as believers are? The answer is no. Okay? They are not indwelt by the Spirit. They are not led as believers are. And yet God's Spirit does work amongst believers for his will to be done and that they would come to him. Do you realize that every single one of us in this room know Jesus Christ if we've given our life to him because the work of the Holy Spirit? The New Testament tells us one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. We are the world. And so before we come to Christ, there is actually a work of the Holy Spirit taking place. It's not that he's indwelling us at that point. He doesn't indwell us till we believe, but the Spirit starts working. And so we see that principle here as the God is starting to work with Pharaoh and to he's got his attention. And so watching all this take place, remember the cupbearer was very close to Pharaoh. He didn't uh, take care of business matters, but he was there. He could hear things. And he sees what's going on and the light goes off in his mind. And he remembers Joseph from two years earlier and then he relates the whole thing that had happened and as he tells him that. And so here's a third key then to prepare for challenges in life is accept God's timing, God's place, and the circumstances that you are in. And so it's different from knowing the Lord is with you. That's one thing. But you must also see where you are And what he has you in is exactly where he wants you. This is crucial, you guys. If you don't believe that, God is not going to be able to work in your life and through your life to the degree that he wants to do that. Because your head's always going to be in a different place. Your heart's always going to be in a different place. And we need to understand that God does have a timing. He does have a place. And he does have circumstances And very often, it's exactly where he wants us. You could say, well, Scott, I'm in an ungodly situation. I work in an ungodly place. Well, I don't think this is a godly nation that Joseph's in right now. I don't think working for Potiphar was a godly situation. He's in prison. That's not godly, really, in a sense. And yet, that's exactly where God has him, that he could bring godliness to it, if you will. And so, 
uh, what seemed like this huge mistake really is without a doubt God's will. And Joseph is right where the Lord needs him, not just to interpret the dreams, but watch this, to ultimately save the nation of, of Egypt and ultimately save his family and Israel um, and as they will then become the nation that God wants them to be. And so remember several weeks ago when all of a sudden we start dealing with Joseph and I told you, listen, there's something more going on here at the end of Genesis than just Joseph, okay? He's the focus and we're pulling all types of stuff here. But the bigger picture was it was about the nation of Israel. And so that just comes out so clear now that God has taken Joseph down into Egypt. He's about ready to raise him up and he's going to save this nation of Egypt who was an, had an incredible wealth. It was an incredible fertile area. And not only would that nation be spared, but Joseph's family would be spared. And ultimately, this mighty nation will come roaring out of Egypt, if you will, in uh, 400 years. And so, as we prepare for challenges in our life, sometimes famine-type challenges, amen? We've been there. Some of us have been there. Some of you are maybe in one right now, okay? Accepting our situation and circumstances, believing God is sovereign, even with timing issues, puts us in that place where, one, we'll be growing as He wants us to grow, and two, at the exact moment which He knows the challenge will stop. Okay? You have to understand that. won't go a second longer or a second shorter. He'll stop it when what has been accomplished is accomplished. And so acceptance is a huge thing for you and I who know Christ. We have to get to the place in our lives where we truly believe we are right where God wants us to be, that His timing, things will change, but in the meantime, He does want us where we're at. And I hope at times, if you'll just pause for a minute, you can look in your life and realize you see evidence of that. You know, years ago when Wink and I, uh, when I first got saved, I got saved in the Salvation Army ministry. And I entered into that ministry. I was ordained as a pastor there. And, uh, and then the Lord led us out of that ministry. And so we went through a period of time where we lived in Auburn. We managed apartments. And in many ways, it was a great blessing. But in many ways, it was a real trial, too. We managed 216 apartments. We had no assistant manager. And we did it all. And we were threatened. I should say I was threatened uh, often as tenants sometimes can be a little irritable and uh, different things like that. Um, but what I'm getting at is I'm not really here to do a, a talk to you about tenant relationships. Frank would appreciate that, but Frank could probably teach me. Um, but really what I want to show you is at times we get in situations and maybe at the time we're not seeing it, but then later we can see so clearly that, wow, God had me right where he wanted me to be. And you guys, if you're in that place, especially that place of wrestling, you're really not wrestling with, you know, it's not your employer. It's not whoever. It, you're, you're, you're really trying to wrestle with God. And I don't need to tell you, you know who wins the wrestling match? God wins every time. Okay? Every time, man. You know, he's just letting you do your thing. But at any moment, he could just go and pin you, you know, and break your hip if he wants. But I'm, I'm being very serious right now that if you're wrestling right now, stop wrestling. Because you're really fighting against God. You're fighting against His will. And you're, you're fighting against your situation, which you're failing to see that maybe God has you right where He wants you. And what you're failing to see is why. And so the best thing would be, okay, Lord, start showing me the why. You know, 
show me the things that you're doing here and that. And so it's an important thing. And then like we see in Philippians 4, 7, when it says the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. Or what we read in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and hope. We'll truly believe those promises. And they'll be true in our lives and heart, that God is with us, that he loves us, he has plans for us, and he will give us a peace that passes all understanding. Well, verse 14, Then Pharaoh sent, and he called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought out him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had had a dream, but no one could interpret it. And I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And so I love this whole thing. Um, Sometimes the Lord can change things really quick. And so Joseph is going, look how fast it happens. He is in prison. He thinks it's just going to be another day in prison. Mr. Cupbearer has forgotten me. And next thing you know, the phone rings. uh, Send Joseph up. The Pharaoh would like to see him. And notice he reverted back to a Hebrew. That's what it talks about there when he shaved. See, the Egyptians shaved everything. They shaved their bodies. That's kind of in right now, you know. I guess you know, I shouldn't even go there. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You just don't go places, right? See, I just about went out on the diving board and all you would go, you got out there, you get yourself off there. But let me just say that, you know, things like, see, I'm trying, okay, things like chest hair. It's like, you know, what do you want me to do? Shave? God did this, okay? You know, lady, uh, okay, stop. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. What What is happening to our world? There was a day where this was masculine. You know, now it's like, never mind, stop. Like I said, be specific when you pray for anointing in the mornings. But anyway, so Joseph has to get cleaned up. And really they shave him all over. That's why pictures that they have discovered and of Egyptians and how they did the things they have found, they just they shaved all their body. They would wear headgear and things like that. And so they cleaned Joseph up. And I love it because just look at this. Can you imagine? You know, he's just like, and next thing you know, he's before Pharaoh. And it's just like, you know, here's what's going on. And so Pharaoh then, and I'm not going to take the time to read it because we just read him, and it's, he just says the same thing again to Pharaoh in verses 17 to 24. He tells him the, the dreams. And really it's one dream, two parts. And so a fourth key then to prepare for life's challenges that we go through, the test, is give God the glory all the while, witnessing to others about the Lord. And again, see, I think sometimes we think, Okay, how do I get through this thing? And really what we're saying is, how do I get beyond this thing? That prayer is not going to get answered if where you're at is where God wants you, right? You're saying, God, get me out of this. You know, give me the three keys to be delivered from every trial in life. And God is saying, I'm sorry, they're not there because I don't want you delivered. And so in the midst of that, we want to accept God's time. Uh, we We want to give glory to God all the while witnessing to others. And isn't that what we see in Joseph when the cupbearer and the baker uh, ask him, and now Pharaoh, he mentions what? The Lord God, who they don't know, um, he has done what he has done. He is the one that has made me able to interpret your dream. 
And, and that's witnessing in its simplest form, telling others about God and what he is able to do. I'm really serious. I hope many of us will come out in a few weeks and head down to the Seattle Center and just be stretched. Because all God wants us to do is go and tell people about him and what he's able to do. And he'll take it from there, see? And, and that's what Joseph is doing here. And it, means, it may seem like that he, he doesn't have anything to do with, uh, uh, with going through a famine and preparing a famine. But at any time, this whole thing that it doesn't, but at any time God is wanting to do that two-work thing in us, you guys, there's that that he's wanting to do in us and that is that he wants to do through us, see? And so, again, you say, well, Scott, I don't understand what glorifying God and witnessing to him has to do when I'm in the midst of a trial. Well, first of all, if we could just put it simply, it's, it's a great distraction. It's a godly distraction. First of all, it gets your mind off what you're going through. But really, there is that work that God is doing in you. But believe it or not, God wants to do a work through you. Remember what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, 7? But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us the surpassing power that surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. Translation, we are clay vessels and God isn't looking for perfect people but broken people that he can work through and be glorified through. And so again, two things are happening at any given moment. He is working in us, okay? But he is also working through us. And God loves to take us as jars of clay. You know what that means? We are weak. We are needy people who Jesus then can work through and can be seen in us. And so understand that. You know, it isn't so much of arriving at a point, then I can do this. No, it's always about willingness. Are you willing? Are you willing to take that step of faith and let God be glorified through you? And I've mentioned this. I'm sorry. Sometimes I mention things too much and over and over again. But I can't tell you how often I've found that to be true in the ministry over the years when I look at Wink and I and our lives. You know, it's never been a matter of having it together. The harder I try to have it together, you know, it's just like, you know, Jeremy mentioned earlier about mentioning Nicaragua. I said, oh, no, Jeremy, that's not the only problem. We can't spell Nicaragua. You know, I'm just joking, right? But I just constantly, I'm before realizing how, I just try so hard sometimes to be this nice polished jar that you'll just go, who are pastors so polished? And then I just botch a word and instead of guilt, it says quilt. And, you know, it's just, you know, that's why there was no PowerPoint last week. I was pouting. I saw some of you laugh when that came up. So I pouted. Debbie Hill asked me why there's no PowerPoint. I said, I'm mad right now. I'm pouting at the church. They laughed at me when I misspelt a word. And she, so I gave her the PowerPoint today and she says, well, why are you giving me a PowerPoint? I said, I'm over it. <laughs> I was being immature. I was being a baby. <laughs> but see, guys, it isn't perfection. Never. It's really sin. God, I can't, but you can and if, if you put this opportunity before me, if you've brought it into my ear and into my eyes, maybe you're trying to say, I want you to do this. Okay, I'm scared, but I'll do it. And God gets glorified and it's awesome. So be encouraged by that. Well, hearing the dream, um, verse 25, um, 
it says, Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told to Pharaoh what he's about to do. And so a famine was about to come to this part of the world. Egypt would have seven years seen in the seven good cows and ears to prepare for it. But then the seven years of want would come. And those, of course, are seen in the ugly cows and the thin ears. And so a famine that would eat really into and devour what was produced during the seven years of plenty. And so Joseph says, verse 32, Now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God and God will quickly bring it about. And so when he dreams the dreams, Pharaoh senses that there was something to them. And now Joseph tells him the two are one and the same. And you did sense right. There is something to him. You're not to ignore him. It is going to come to pass. And so verse 33, uh, let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise. Let him set him over the land. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact the fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food um, of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food be, become as a reserve for the land uh, for the seven years of famine which will occur in the land of Egypt so the land will not perish during the famine. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. And so Joseph gives Pharaoh that away for he and the nation to make it through this time that's coming to them. And so it could seem that Joseph is just being clever now to get himself out of prison. And the problem with that logic is if it fails, not only will he go back to prison, but he would be killed. So I don't think that's really what's going on. I really don't think he sees himself as the answer to the problem, but he's just being led by God. And God showed him what Egypt needed to do. And he was simply just telling that to Pharaoh. And I think Joseph had seen God do this in a similar way already in his life when he got put into Potiphar's house and it started to prosper. He was put in charge. And then he was put into prison, which seemed like a bad situation. And again, he's put in charge and things start to prosper. And so Joseph, it would seem, had learned just how to trust God where he was at and then to seek God to lead him into work and to tell him what to do and how to do it. And that's what he's doing now, only it's going to be on a larger scale. And so a fifth key in preparing for life's challenges and the things we're going to go through is expect and look for God's leading as to coming to a standstill during those times. And so we don't wait until something hits to seek the Lord's leading, but we need to learn to look for it now and expect it now. And in that way, he will have us ready. See, and we have that promise. Uh, One of my favorite verses, I, 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 I probably have said this before. It was the first message I ever taught was on this verse, Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way what you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. That's been one of my favorite verses all my life because I've seen it true. And so God is saying that I'll lead you, I'll guide you, I'll counsel you. And so preparation for tomorrow's trials is to happen today. And we need to be looking for and expecting God's leading. The alternative is a standstill. And really, that is not having faith. That is not living the life we're to have. And so, again, be careful because trials have the potential to make us throw up our hands and panic and just start entering into a pity party and that is not what God's will is and so we want to expect God to lead look for that leading and go with it and God will do that and so to to be a person who expects and see God lead now 
And, and nothing will change if a famine will come because you have always been then a person that is expecting him to lead you. See the difference? You don't wait till it comes. You're just that way. And so if something comes or something doesn't come, he's leading and he's, and he's guiding you. And we see that with Joseph. As he gives Pharaoh a plan, he's only doing what he had already done when he was overseeing Potiphar's household and when he had overseen the prison. So he's doing nothing different. And so verse 38 Then Pharaoh said to his servant, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? And so Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all the people shall do homage. Only to the throne I will be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took off his signet ring, which is like a signature thing. Um, It would be, you know, I mean, that's power. That'd be like you and I having something that would give us the power of uh, President Bush and the wealth of Bill Gates. And that's what he had, okay? And so he took off and put a signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him with garments of fine linen and put the golden necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot, so you get the airplane too, okay? And they proclaimed him before, bowed the knee, and he set him over all the land of Egypt. Uh, Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh named Joseph. He gives him this name that, again, I'm not going to try to pronounce. And he he gives him a, a, a wife, okay? And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. Now, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So, 17 when he was betrayed, 30, that's the 13 years right there. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. And he gathered all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt. And he placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food for its own surrounding fields. And that Joseph stored up grain in the great abundance like the sands of the sea until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. And so Joseph's trial then comes to an end, although managing Egypt really would be no picnic. If you think that is, that is no picnic. But he really has gone then from a teenager now to a young man of 30. And again, be encouraged by that. You know, if you're at 30 and you think, you know, God can't use me. Come on. God can use you, man. David was a teenager when God called him. You know, when I went into the ministry, I was 19 years old. And so if you're 19, 17, 30, 40, 50, again, God wants to use you. And notice his God-centered character is still intact. He may have been raised to power. Many people in that situation, it would change their lives, wouldn't it? But he carries out the plan that I really believe the Lord had given him, and he continues to be the same God-fearing person that he'd always been. So verse 50, Now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. So you see the son Manasseh and Ephraim. And verse 53, When the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, there, then there was famine in all the land, but in all the land of Egypt uh, there was bread. And so when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, and whatever he says to you, you shall do. And when the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, when Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt, the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. And so here we see, again, 
this incredible situation, dreams, you know, that could be our focus. But really, we see a man named Pharaoh that is faced with a situation that could have taken down his life and his country's life. And yet he took preparation. God led preparation. And it mean, it speaks to you and I. What are we doing today to make sure we are prepared for what is going to come tomorrow? I've said this before, and you know I can't promise you and the Lord won't promise you that from this moment on you will never have another trial in your life. We know that's not true. There are trials that await us, and some will be a famine proportion. Unfortunately, there will be loved ones that pass away before we thought they would. There will be tragic accidents either in this church or attached to this church. There will be loss of jobs. There will be marriages that break up and on and on and on. And so, in a sense, we've had a dream this morning. And God has said, listen, you need to be prepared. And so, again, I encourage you, the five things, don't lose sight that the Lord God is with you. Number two, always be truthful with God, with yourself, with others. And then accept the situation you're in, God's timing, God's place, God's circumstances. And it might be easy for you right now. Remember, that's an easier thing to accept. But if you're in a hard place or if a hard place comes, accept that. Give glory to God in the midst of that. Be a witness and expect and look for the Lord to lead. In time, he will lead you out. But expect and look for him to lead, whether you're in a trial or out of a trial. And you'll find then that when the famines come, you'll be ready. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand.